everybody, welcome back to the 50th episode of Taps and Patience, Woo-hoo. the podcast which is now a one-year-old. Uh, I am one of your hosts, AJ, with Design the Everything, here with Harrison of Precision Ingenuity. Hi, Harrison. It's been a week. How are you doing? It's It's been a couple weeks, actually. It's, oh, yeah, you're right. It's been two weeks. <laughs> we actually missed our anniversary episode, which is oh, just no. slightly <laughs> embarrassing, but that would have been last week. That's hilarious. I, you know, I was just, someone was just asking me the other day how long I've been doing the podcast. And I was like, I, I was like, man, we're close to a year, but I don't remember when we started. Yeah. So it's, I had it ran on a sticky note last time, but I've moved my desk since then and purged sticky notes. I believe it was August 20th or August like 17th, somewhere in there. Okay. That's cool. probably a little bit of discrepancy between recording date and publishing date, but it was in that ballpark. Regardless, that's exciting. It's been a year. It has so. been. Ooh, and announcement. This episode will be a short episode because we have a longer episode that we are recording on Wednesday with a guest that you will find out on Wednesday. Oh, we're keeping a surprise? I, I just decided that this very moment, but apparently. Okay, we'll keep it a surprise. I'm excited for this one, so I don't have to do too much research on this one. <laughs> yeah <laughs> although I, although i want to like I've, I've i have been trying to research some because i'm i'm super excited but we'll we'll save that for next time um so also since i am in announcement mode let me switch the screen here so we put out a call the other day for any small businesses or makers who want to push their stuff we will shill for free uh if you are a small business that makes a physical product or offers a product that or offers a service that requires making physical stuff. Um, RGM CNC on Instagram reached out and was like, hey, me. Um, I talk to him all the time. He's a good guy. He's doing some really cool trays. And um, those are really cool. They are really cool. And he does a I lot need to of follow stuff. Him. You should follow him. <laughs> what, um, what was that again? RJM CNC. Um, he does a lot of cool stuff specifically with tool paths. In fact, he does this design right here that I'm not even particularly sure how he makes that. It's a ball mill. Oh. It's a ball mill. You think it's a ball diag- mill? Mm-hmm. Ball mill on diagonal uh, cuts. It looks like he's doing a different pitch when he's going like in X versus Y or, mm-hmm. um, well, they're diagonals, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But anyway, I thought those were super cool. It's a really neat looking effect. Yeah, that is. And that's really good finishes for a uh, 770. Oh, is that what he's doing them with? Yep. So he has an Etsy store, RJM, RJM CNC. Uh, he sells pen rests and trays and marble stands. So if you would like us to shill your stuff for free, and if you are a small business, um, send me a message and we will do so. That is cool. I, I enjoy finding new people on Instagram that make stuff. I I love following people and trying to get inspiration from other people's designs. There's some really cool stuff out there. Um, I saw some really cool generative art stuff the other day where basically they wrote code to do. I don't know if it was literally this, but what it looks like is a fluid simulation. Mm -hmm. And like basically on, you know, one side of the, the artwork, they had just straight parallel lines and then it would hit an object and it would kind of like loop and swirl around the object like a fluid would. Oh, that's cool. 
And I really need to know how they do that so I can do that on my stuff. Yeah. So speaking of plugs, you have some news as some news as well that you should plug for yourself. We just did a bunch of plugs. Are we going to do more plugs? We're going to do a plug for you because you're Fine. you're a you're one of the hosts, so you need a plug. Um, yeah. So in the time between now and when we last talked, uh, we launched a Kickstarter. It is for the uh, what we're just calling Fidget Art Number Three, uh, which is a cube that has generative tool paths on all six sides. Uh, every side of every cube is completely unique from every other side of every other cube. And uh, they are kind of a fidget toy that you can play with or you can display it as art. So they work like the, um, what are they? The the Chinese or Japanese toys. Ooh, there, there's the name in the Kickstarter. Um, mm-hmm. It sounds like Chinese. Bo, Bodin? Baudeng? Balls? Uh, basically, they're like the, the metal balls that you hold in your hand and you, you swirl around. Uh, mm-hmm. You can do that with the cubes. And they have a lot more texture to them and sharp corners, which uh, I find more enjoyable to swirl in my hand over the uh, traditional ones. Cool. So, Well, the, the only downside to plugging that is when you plugged it, I just saw that you only had six days left. So by the time this podcast comes out, there might not be much time to react. <laughs> I'm Because this is a short one, I'm going to try to publish it either tonight or tomorrow. So, Okay. Um. Yeah. That's anyway, that's going fairly well. We weren't super sure how well this one would do. Uh, in the past, when we have done the fidget, or excuse me, the generative art designs, we have capped them off at either 100 or 50 units. This one, we have like the first 50 people get a signed serial numbered card, but we are going to continue selling past that first 50, and they just get the same thing, but with no card. Cool. That's cool. So uh, what else is going on in your world? We finally finished fulfilling the Not-So-Tactical Kickstarter. Nice. That only took a really long time. We were only... (laughs) uh, Let's see. By my schedule up there, the pen campaign, which was going to be after the uh, Not-So-Tacticals were fulfilled, the pen campaign which was 30 days long, was supposed to end on July 19th. Wait, did you do a uh, Kickstarter for the pins? No. Oh. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's Let's see, oh. the, So are where... you still planning on doing a pin Kickstarter? Yes and no. We're going to push it back one. Okay. Um, June 6th. That is when we had the Not-So-Tacticals marked as completed on our calendar. Or is when okay. we were hoping to. That was the projected completion date. And uh, now it's almost September. So, so that was a problem. Yeah. So walk me through this. Like, I feel like when you said it was going to be done to now that I've at least been following it, it's been over a month. And like, since you had like 80 left and you're supposed to be done. And then if you're just now finishing, there's obviously been some stuff that's happened between now and then. Yeah. Like, like, I don't need a full rundown of like everything that's happened, but like, what's the biggest contributors? So a couple things. Um, the biggest contributor is the first process I had in place was not reliable and it sucked. And I spent far too long trying to make it work. That was when I was doing the full big sheets that could do 28 carabiners at a time. Um, 
and I was counting on being able to get a long night run with those. Okay. Um, by my math, the machine only needed to run for like three weeks to get all the carabiners done. And that obviously didn't, didn't happen um, because the first, we had to go to the smaller uh, pallets because we were getting too much of that um, material warpage mm-hmm. uh, where the material is literally like bending 90 degrees and sticking eight, up, eight inches up off the pallet. Um, so we, we, we wasted a bunch of time with that. And then also in the process of switching to a smaller pallet, we ended up with a shorter night run. Um, and we went much more conservative on a lot of speeds and feeds and stuff to get better finishes and more reliable processes. So basically not only did we lose six hours of running overnight, we also got half as much done in that six hours plus, you know, the day runs. So that was, that was a big part of it. And then we also, in that, redesigned the not-for-climbing carabiner. Um, and instead of those taking 14 minutes, they now take about an hour. And Per carabiner? Uh, per carabiner. Oh, wow. Yeah, both both the not-so-tacticals and the not-for-climbings take about an hour. Um, the not-for-climbings have a lot more material removal. The not-so-tacticals have drilling and tapping and stuff. Um so do you see any way to speed that back up? Because obviously you had it working at 14 minutes. So um, although they were laser cut. So that was the laser that... cut blanks and we were only cutting out the middle and they were thinner. OK, so what's now that we're like in a um, regular rhythm and not just flat out on everything all the time, it's actually really not hard for us to keep up with sales. OK, so even if we were to double or triple, it'd be fine. Um. No, man, I need a second spindle still. And yeah. so, okay, that was the first thing or the first couple of things. I lost track of how many I said. The second thing is we figured out how to get sales on Shopify. And so now in addition to making the uh, carabiners that we needed for the Kickstarter, we were also all of a sudden making, needing, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 carabiners a week for our online store. Um, oh, maybe it's not even that much. Maybe it was only like 20, but... The working in between, like switching back and forth and, you know, figuring out what we need when was just not something that we were really set up to, to handle. We didn't really have good systems in place. Um, and then also we had trouble powder coating and we were um, scrapping a lot of carabiners or, well, we were, we were able to rework them. If you screw up powder coating, you throw them in some goop. The next day you pick them up, you scrape off the powder coat and you can recode them. Uh, but we just spent a lot of wasted time getting our settings dialed back in. And um, the we were, I also was training Scott on powder coating uh, during this time. So he was learning the whole, you know, art from the ground up on a very difficult to do project. Um, and that was honestly, I think my biggest mistake that, I have made for design the everything in the last year, at least except, eh, except arguably not buying a second machine like eight months ago. But um, what that ended up doing is not only was Scott not as good at powder coating as I am. um, So he was more slow and creating more work for himself by messing up and having to redo them. But he was also not doing what he needed to be doing which was selling more things on our website. 
Um, and so our, our sales on Shopify have slowly dwindled uh, because Scott had been out here and uh, that's kind of come back to bite us lately. So I, I should have just kept powder coating. It also would have given me a better grasp on where we were with quantities because there were a couple of times where I thought we were pretty much done or almost done um, only to find out that that, that that wasn't as true as I would have thought. Um, so, yeah. Are you guys combonding or storing? Like, how, how are you tracking your levels? So we... Our normal stuff runs on Kanbans, and I have Kanbans for all of the, um, well, basically everything we sell now. I don't think there's anything left that's not Kanban. However, we are so far behind that all of our Kanbans are just empty, or they were. We're starting to catch up now. But okay. Kanbans don't do anything, or don't do you any good when you're like, production is so bottlenecked that everything you machine goes directly to a customer. So... I need to adjust some of the levels. I was, um, I have like, I think it's eight carabiners per bin right now, uh, which is just more inventory than we need to keep around because we have so many colors. Um, so I'm going to adjust some of those numbers down, maybe four per bin, and then build up to that level of inventory. Well, what you could do is you could have a non-coded bin that's higher and then have like four of each color or whatever whatever makes sense to powder coat batch size um, yes have that so, be what you have your combine for and you'd have a combine that would go to paint to coloring and then when your coloring bin runs or when your blank bin runs low then you can do a mild production run of those yeah. What we've always done in the past when we've had the inventory for it is we will keep a product in the stonewash state. And then um, when we need to powder coat them, we'll pull from the stonewashed and powder coat those. Gotcha. So, yeah, we'll have larger, larger bins of the stonewashed. And then when we need something to powder coat, we'll pull them from the, the stonewash bin, powder coat them and put them in back in their bin. Sounds good. Um, so, oh, other issues I was having was reliability issues with the probe. Um, I, for the most part, have those all worked out now. I had a couple sneak back up on me, um, and I was able to to get those little gremlins sorted out. I had to; the probe kept getting stuck, and my solution was to go in there and scrape all the grease off the contacts. Um, which that grease exists for a reason, but also it doesn't get stuck as much anymore. So. Not a great long-term solution, but it's a workable. Was it, was it overpacked? Um, it should only need like a surface level to keep it. Packed isn't really the right word because the uh, contacts inside there are you know just a cavity, um, mm-hmm. and there was just kind of a, a big dop of grease on each um, contact point. There's three contact points. It's two balls with a uh, pin that bridges them. When the pin moves off, it breaks contact and triggers the probe. Um, but the, the grease was just really sticky or something and the ball would slide up the, um, or excuse me, the pin would slide up the ball a little bit. And then I think just get glued there and not be able to uh, move that last little bit back. So by, by getting rid of that grease and slowing the probe down a little bit, I seem to fix that. I fixed all the false trip issues, um, with things we discussed earlier, but. Sounds good. 
I I do look forward to having a true like Renishaw probe at some point. <laughs> having a wireless probe on my Tormach is nice, and it is still worth it over the manual one. I make much better parts for it, but man, I wish this thing was just 100% reliable all the time. To put that being said, I did start using the probe for the very first time in programs here recently. So um, still have the manual one with the wire, but um, yeah. was running some parts. And for small batches of parts, it's quicker to just use the probe to find the part in the general location rather than to set up a stop. If I'm just running yep. one or two of something. And so, but I don't like sitting there and having to manually probe those in. So um, I just set up a, a quick probing routine and then just, do that at the beginning of every part that or at least for those few and work great. It was also good, a good opportunity to kind of play around with the probe and see how well it does. And it was a lot of fun. I myself cannot wait until I have a wireless one. And I can just yeah. set all that up <laughs> automatically and just load and go. Yep. And it's really nice when you are machining a second op that has a hat on it, because mm-hmm. then you can just machine off the hat probe directly off the edges and then keep machining. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I need to make a fixture with the cubes because right now I am just doing them in a vice and I have it set up where it'll probe for the edges of the cubes before every single side and Mm -hmm. then um, machine it. And I think during prototyping, my probing routines took as long or longer than the actual machining time. um, Oh, wow. Which doesn't work in production. So in production, I just need a, a, a purpose made fixture. Yeah. And that'll save me two minutes per side or a minute per side. Mm-hmm. So speaking of probing and fun things in the future, um, I had a pretty good morning this morning. So I got to tour a local business that makes high-end mountain bikes and road bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, their bikes, uh, I believe the bike company name is Acquire, if I remember correctly. Um, I'll have to double check that, but they do some really nice stuff. And, um, they have two Haas VF threes that are super speeds and one's a YT. The other one's just a normal one. So it's actually kind of good to go see the difference between the, the YT and the non YT. Although ironically talking to the Haas rep, um, they they, they wanted two VF three YTs. Um, but when they, Told, they, they bought the first one that was a, a VF3 uh, YT Super Speed. They bought the first one, and then when they went to order the second one, they just said, hey, we want a VF3. And the Haas rep was just like, oh, okay. So they spec'd them out one and got them everything they wanted. And when they got it, they're like, why doesn't this match the other one? They're like, oh, that one's a YT. And they're like, oh, dang it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they have one of each. And so I got to kind of see the differences between those two side by side, which was really cool. And then they had a UR robot um, and a five-axis trunnion on um, on one of them, and it was kind of cool to see that whole setup working. So um, they were doing automated loading onto uh, with the VersaBuilt system and the UR robots, and the, on the one machine and in the other machine, it had a five-axis trunnion, although they had it off to the side because they were doing big plate work on it. Um, because they do, um, carbon fiber mountain bikes, they make all of their molds in the shop as well. And so they had like a, like a big chunk of aluminum that took up almost the whole table 
that they were machining wow. okay. um, molds into. So it was like really cool to go see that whole place in operation. And they regularly will run their parts overnight. And he said, you know, that's that's the last thing we do. So the robot almost never runs during the day because we're just using the machine normally. And then at night we just load it up and let it go. So I was yep. like, oh, I hate you guys, but that's awesome. <laughs> so it was pretty cool. They had another robot in there that was like a massive like ABB robot. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like big enough to like move your car. And uh, they were using that to sand the bike frames when they were completed or like in process sanding. It was that's like, cool. And it was like in the middle of the shop and like the biggest thing. And they're like, like, we went from like five people sanding to like that one robot. And they like figured up like how much labor they were spending in sanding of the carbon fiber. And they basically paid for that robot in one year. Gosh. Does it just have like a random orbit sander on the end? How does it? No. So they built a whole fixture onto the end of the arm that allows it to go grab the bike frame. And then they have a whole bunch of sanders in a circle. Oh, all that the way makes so much it. more sense. And so they can they can move it between all these different sanding zones to like get to all the nooks and crannies of it. And then they just have this big thing with like a bike on the end of it that they're just flipping around and doing all this crazy stuff with to get to sand all the edges and everything. And then when they're done, I think they do still have people come and like do the finish sanding Mm because there's still going to be some small areas that it didn't quite get or just to make sure everything's blended good, but not nearly what it was. And then they have like a. They have like a pallet system for bikes that the robot will go set set up like it has like a, a row of done and like a row of needs to be done and it'll like go. And it, it says they, they said it can do a bike frame in I think it was like 15 minutes or something. But it was crazy seeing that thing whip around really fast with the bike frame yeah. on the end. And it's just like. <laughs> so. That was pretty cool. That's cool. Um. But one thing that was interesting, though, is they went away from anodizing and they're going to Cerakote. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and they said the reason they're doing that is because they can't find any anodizers. The anodizers aren't consistent from batch to batch. And um, they want to be able to control it in-house. And Cerakote was the best method. So they're switching over to Cerakote. Interesting. So and I also got to see a lot of their aluminum parts. And it was pretty wild. I th- I thought the mach- parts coming off the machine needed a little more cleanup off the machine. Uh-huh. But they were they were tumbling them, and then they were sandblasting them, and then they were seracoding them, and they looked really good when they were done. And I was yeah. amazed at how much of a how, like how much of a like they could get away with some of the different blend zones after doing all of that. It's like my stainless pry bars. I don't deburr them at all. Not on the machine. I just put them in the tumbler and they tumble for a while and they come out, you know, perfectly fine. Yeah. So I was kind of, it was kind of cool to see that aspect of it. Like I couldn't get away with that in the job shop space, like ever. Yeah. Um, But for like a product, it was like, oh man, that's like, that makes it a lot easier. Uh, but another thing that was kind of cool that they're talking about is they got the super speeds. They got the 15,000 RPM spindle, but they said, you know, the majority of our parts, you know, they're, you know, 30 minutes to an hour per part run on a lot of them because they're pretty complex, even though they're small. Mm -hmm. And they said it doesn't really matter. They're like, we're not producing stuff in a high enough volume. And with the machine running parts overnight, like who cares? Who cares? Yeah. 
And so, like, they're not really pushing their stuff. Like, while we were there, they, they didn't even really run their their mills that often just because they weren't, like, they were keeping up with demand just fine. So, like, they, they run them at night, but they don't really run them very much during the day. Yep. So, I was like, okay, that's cool. So, anyways, super inspired. Had, had some some very lustful eyes while I was there <laughs> and uh, was just kind of drooling on their machines. Um, but yeah, it's also exciting because I got to kind of glimpse what could be in my future if everything goes to plan. Yep. So I have but, a note on job shop. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was gonna say, I have a note on job shop work. Do What's you know that? what I finally did? What? I measured my zometry part. Oh, how'd it go? <laughs> so, funny story. It was like thou out on the base. Mm-hmm. It was just a little bit oversized on the base. And I was talking to Servan and I was like, are they going to reject it if that one measurement's a little bit off? And he was like, yeah. It, but he was like, do you have sandpaper? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, you can just totally sand it down and it'll be fine. And then I proceeded to spend the next four hours trying to sand off two thou of that stupid stainless part because the coarsest sandpaper I have is like 320 grit. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I did not realize that stainless was so abrasion resistant. I was sanding until like 1 a.m. Oh, my goodness. I would have just put it in the machine at that point. I had some sunk cost fallacy going on. I was so close. Okay. So speaking of zometry, I don't know. Are you going to planning on sending it in? Um, I need to recheck it again. Um, when I, I didn't check it when I was done last time, at least not with Mike's. I checked it with calipers. <laughs> so you could still be two thou out. <laughs> I could be for all I know. <laughs> so, um, uh, there's a guy, um, that uh, he's reached out to me a couple times. Um, he found us through the podcast. Um, he was uh, he was trying to get into zometry, mm-hmm. and he submitted his part. And zometry came back with their their little sheet to like check over all the dimensions, and they said, "Sorry, your part does not pass." And he was looking through the sheet, and he sent it to me. He's like, "Harrison, what what's wrong with this?" And I looked through it and I'm like, I pulled up my old sheet from when we submitted it back in the day. I was like, I was like, this part's actually better than ours was like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, like we have a couple more dimensions that are out of spec compared to yours. And he's just like, I don't know what to do. I was like, I I don't know. I was like, the only thing I can think is that someone got it wrong. Mm -hmm. And like, they have like a new guy that was looking over it and like, you're actually good, but they didn't, they didn't know. And he's like, well, whatever. He's like, this is dumb. And then, like, two weeks later, he's like, hey, so this just happened. And, like, he got an email back from Zometry. They're like, hey, we're so sorry. We don't know how you got rejected, <laughs> but you actually passed. <laughs> Does Zometry send you an uh, inspection report on your own part? Or yeah. do they just give mm-hmm. you a pass-fail? Okay. No, they, they give you a full uh, CMM printout okay. of, like, all the dimensions checked. So it's, like, really cool to see. I think we had... 
four measurements that were technically out, and the largest one was out by like a thou and a half. Okay. I think, or a thou. I'd have only been like a thou. It, they weren't very far out, but I had four, and I think it was mainly the tapped holes. Um, mm. And I think it was because we didn't use a center drill. And we just used like a cobalt drill to drill and tap them. And we had no way to check them because they were tapped. Yep. So I, yeah, don't I just kind of eyeballed them and was like, ah, it's close enough. I honestly don't know how they check tapped holes with a CMM. Like, because it's it's all ridgy on the inside, do they like drag up and find the highest point on one side? And the, like, I don't know how they do it to quantify where it's actually located. And so that's a little suspicious, but that, that was the only thing that major that I think we had wrong on ours was the tapped holes. Yeah, I, the only thing I could think of that you could do to 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 inspect that is to stick a gauge pin that's the minor diameter of the hole down in there, mm-hmm. and um, just you know subtract half of that. Yeah, I that's however how we, did not have a correctly sized gauge pin, so that's how we do it today. Back then, we didn't have a gauge pin set, so we had literally no way of checking it. That's how I do it today. But I do wonder how they do that on a CMM if they stick a gauge pin through it, or if they can somehow get the probe down into a I think they're a 440 hole or something like that. Mm. So anyways. So um so there's that and then man, I'm just booked up with work. I've got I'm basically booked through the end of October. And nice. I keep getting more work. Yeah. So <laughs> you need to get that be- second meal. It it's it's becoming a meme at this point. Like my computer goes off every day with more parts and dad comes in to the shop and he's like, so you guys catching up? I'm like, nope, we're further behind now. (laughs) (laughs) They're coming in faster than we're getting them out. Um, So it's a good problem to have. I'm not complaining at all for anyone who's listening. This is, this is not a humble brag. This is not a, um, like this is me stating facts because I'm stressed and excited. (laughs) <laughs> I don't yeah. know how else to put it. It's it's one of those things where it's like, it's finally happening. We're doing very well. It's very exciting. It's happening at the right time because we're trying to move into a shop and get a down payment for a machine. But I've also been working like 14 hours a day, like six days a week. And and so I'm just, I'm not, I'm not really all there right now, <laughs> if I'm honest. And we're back. Okay. Um, so I took some job shop work, mm-hmm. which I'm holding up a piece of material because it's for the job shop work. I don't normally, but um, we're kind of kind of out of money right now. And I had three people send me a message in the same day and was like, Providence, I have some money now if I do some of this job shop work. Um, so there's 75 parts that are kind of e- small EDC parts. Um 25 of them are coming out of this plate of titanium here. And then 25 are being salami, or excuse me, 50 are being salami sliced. And then there are, uh, I'm doing four big old aluminum trays for someone. That's awesome. Are you going to become a job shop? Uh, No, but if somebody does have a, a product where they want a nice looking part, uh, maybe tumbled, maybe polished, maybe whatevered. Um, then send me a message because we'll help you out. There you go. Right now, we actually have some spindle time. Look, the mill is idle. Um, 
we actually have some spindle time now that the the knots for climb no the not so tacticals are done uh, I do have a whole bunch of work I need to do in the next couple of weeks, but it's a lot more computer oriented than it kind of has been in the past. So, Fair enough. Well, I think that's all I got. I'm just going to be burying my head in work, getting yep. up early and staying late and trying to get through this all. Um, I think I got to average 20 to 30 parts a day as it currently stands, and I have not been hitting that. Mm-hmm. So, but part of the problem is I have a lot of different types that have a lot of very low, like five to 12 parts. And so getting through those is going to suck, but I do have a couple parts that are like 50 to a hundred. And so like, whenever I get to those, I should be able to get those done in like a day or two. And so yeah. it'll feel like I got a lot more done when those parts come up. But doing the smaller stuff in the beginning is going to be like, this kind of sucks because I'm not getting as much done as I need to be. At least that's how it's going to feel. I I can't even imagine how you're keeping track of like the cam and the parts numbers and keeping track of which part is which and yada, yada, oh, yada, we, yada. We got a lot of systems in place for all that kind of stuff. Um, although we are looking in, and I think I just remembered this. Um, I think we're going to be having a video conference with the guys that do. Um, it's the one Servin has his Pro ERP Shop. So- Pro Shop. Nice. Pro Shop. So we should be having a meeting with those guys in the near future. I, I don't know if it's this week or next week. Um, just have like a an online meeting with them to kind of talk about pro shops, its benefits, and if they can separate me from my money. So yeah. get it. <laughs> um, ooh, I so to that um, line of being organized and keeping track of things, I finally took the time to improve my um, process bins for the different products we have. So you can kind of see that blue one right there behind us. That's from mm-hmm. the carabiners. Uh, all of my process bins now have a laminated setup sheet which includes a list of the tools that you need for the job and uh, how it, the material should look when it's set up in the machine. And also I have started storing tools with the process bin. So before I had them all kind of in a drawer and you just have to f- try to find the right one in the drawer and you know hope it was set up and yada, yada. Now the tools just live with the, is set up in their tool holders, live in the process bins. So that's been, that's been a very nice little improvement. Good deal. Well, I think with that, I think that makes it the end. So, um, as I collect my thoughts, let's see here. Um, so yeah, guys, thanks for hanging out and listening with us. This has been kind of a short one, or we've been trying to keep it a little short because we got another one coming up later this week, as AJ mentioned at the beginning of this whole shebang. But sorry for the delay, and we'll do, we're going to try to make up a week by giving you two. So uh, please stick around for next time. It's going to be an awesome guest that's coming onto the podcast, and I won't spoil it, but I'm super excited, and I know AJ is as well. So uh, please like and subscribe and tell all your friends. And this is Harrison with Precision Ingenuity signing out with AJ from Design the Everything. It's Dylan. Bye.